Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We are again in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 15. Paul has been talking at length in these chapters of 8 through 10 about what it means to be in relationship with people and how when you run into differences, there are all kinds of challenges and decisions we have to make. And that's true even when we do outreach to people. Listen to God's word from 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 15. Paul says to the uh, Corinthians, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel that gives me, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but not of my own will. I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I might present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. That by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. I don't know how many of you actually travel on a regular basis, even to other nations, but you probably know that travel to another culture or nation can be, at the very least, uncomfortable, at the very most, even dangerous. At least according to the United States State Department travel website. Apparently, whenever we travel to other nations, we need to consider some important things when we travel abroad. You might consider... uh, if it's even really worth it to travel, especially according to the State Department travel guide. For example, if you would like to travel to England one day, our State Department says, do not bring a gun. Unlike our gun-loving country, the United Kingdom has strict gun control laws. And if, however, you really need to bring your gun, because you never know what happens in England or the UK, then you'll need to fill out an appropriate form an application, and include a letter of good conduct 
from, that's right, your local police station, Sheriff County, Sheriff's Department here in Union County. If you're going to France, according to the State Department, do not be in a hurry to join the French Foreign Legion. I know many of you have been thinking about that. Apparently, the State Department warns that if you are fancy being in the, uh, the well-known French Foreign Legion, you will find it is way harder to get in than you would ever realize. In other words, don't even bother. If you're going to Norway, and particularly the archipelago of Svalbard on the way to the North Pole, and I'm sure you guys have thought about that too, the State Department says you may run into hazards such as, well, polar bear attacks. Unlike England, they recommend you bring a sufficiently powerful weapon to deal with said polar bears. And last but not least... As if we should leave ourselves out of the equation, what are other countries saying about coming to America? Well, apparently, uh, besides universal warnings uh, from most countries about widespread crime in the U.S., places like Australia warn that you need to watch out for the following in our homeland. You ready? Earthquakes, hurricanes, floods, extreme heat, landslides, mudslides, thunderstorms and lightning, tornadoes, tsunamis, volcanoes in Hawaii and the uh, northwest, winter storms, wildfires, brush fires, and extreme cold. In Ireland, they suggest that you bring lots of sunscreen because there's so much sunshine. Didn't know you lived in such a dangerous place, did you? Isn't it interesting how so many different cultures perceive the dangers of other cultures? How one small thing that can happen and even does happen can be taken to be bigger than it actually is. Well, I'd like to suggest that in our series today on Walk Into Their World, talking about how we actually enter into other people's worlds and their lives with the gospel, sharing the gospel with them, we run into the same cultural issues and even warnings in our hearts. And today we want to deal with the problems that show up in differences. Our text, in fact, deals at length with the problem and differences that we have as we walk into different families, different uh, communities, different people's lives sharing the gospel. And the Apostle Paul knew what it was like more than anyone, probably, to walk into different cultures. Remember, he was a Jew. He was a Jew who grew up uh, in Antioch and also labored in Jerusalem. And he also experienced as a missionary of the gospel, went all kinds of cultures all over the world. And he today wants to tell us that there is a way to deal with those differences in people that you run into on a very regular basis in sharing the gospel. He wants to help us walk through the obstacles that sometimes keep us from sharing our faith and really shouldn't keep us from sharing our faith. And so what is he up to? Well, he's out to help us answer the question like this. When we reach out to people, particularly unbelievers, who are very different than we are with their lifestyles, their subculture, their values, how do we communicate the gospel? 
how do we walk into very different worlds than the one we are so comfortable with and we think is so normal in everyday life? Well, Paul tells us right off the bat in our text today in verse 15. He begins by giving us a key insight into how we can walk into very different worlds than we are used to as we deal with people with different lifestyles and different values. And he tells us uh, in verse uh, 15 of our text exactly what he's, at, what he's about. He says, I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Now, I have put you in the middle of a conversation he's having here in 1 Corinthians 9 about uh, uh, how he uh, interacts with people as he shares the gospel as a missionary, basically, and a church planter. And basically what he was saying in his time is this, that in the first part of, of Corinthians, he talks about how he comes into a community and he shares the gospel with people. And often he did it with fear and trembling. And then after being there a while even, he would pastor them and minister to them. And yet he would not ask for money. He would not ask for money. That's what he's talking about in our text today in this provision thing. Now, why is he bringing up the money thing? Well, in the Roman world, it was common for orators to come around uh, in communities or even show up in churches. And they would start to do really amazing speaking skills and preaching and things like that. And um, what they would do is they'd say, hey, if you want to hear more, show me the money. If you want to get more, show me the money. Paul, however, is doing something very different. He's going into communities and he's offering the gospel free of charge. Now think about that for a second. Paul is a pastor and a missionary preaching the gospel all over the Roman Empire. At this time, even in his ministry, he is developing quite the reputation as an apostle of all people, chosen by Jesus to preach the gospel to Gentiles. He's developing a reputation for being one of the superstars of the church in that time. If anybody should get paid for preaching the gospel, it would be Paul, right? Apostle, church planner, pastor. And in fact, in verses 1 through 14, he actually makes a case for why pastors and missionaries and church planners and others should be taken care of by the church financially. Uh, and he makes the case from Scripture, from logic. Logic being, hey, if you do something like even start a business, shouldn't you enjoy some of the fruits of it? If even the Scripture teaches, don't muzzle the ox, is what he talks about. You don't want to actually kill the person who's actually given you life uh, through the gospel word. Take care of them. Help them take care of their worldly needs and cares. However... After making this case and saying, you need to pay your pastor, basically. He does this amazing thing where he clearly says, I do not demand my rights. And I have rights to be paid as a pastor, as a leader. I have a right to be compensated. But he refused those rights. I mean, imagine yourself, for example, going to work. Over the next two years, which is how long Paul basically spent in Corinth, and working at your job day in, day out, 
without getting paid. You're going, uh, Dean, I can't imagine that. I'm sorry. I'm like, yep, exactly. That's the amazing thing that Paul did in giving a gift to these people. He gave the gospel free of charge to them. Well, I would encourage you, there's a principle here in this text about how we reach out to people that goes way beyond whether you pay your pastor or not. Don't get stuck on that. Well, you can sometimes. I heard the laugh. Paul is saying to the Corinthians this. If you want to do life in spiritual community with each other, which he talks about in chapter 8, if you want to especially reach out to unbelievers, you must do one thing to do life with people who are very different from you in how you do your rhythms of living, you must give up your rights. You must give up good things in life. I'm not talking about giving up sin. I'm talking about good things in life in order that the gospel would go out free of charge to people who don't know Jesus This is sacrifice. Giving up your rights, things you are due, even as a part of the kingdom of God. And it's really a hard thing to do. I mean, how many of us like enjoy giving up our rights? But Paul is giving his example of how he didn't get paid to do ministry for two whole years to show the Corinthians, who, by the way, were rich. This is the New York City of the time. There were a lot of rich people in this church. And he's basically telling them, look, if you want to share the gospel and see that gospel go out like I have, you've got to give up your rights. Look at my example. Now, somebody here will say, well, wait a minute now. He's an apostle. He's a church planner. He's a missionary. I'm none of those things. and I'm never going to be any of those things. And I'm like, that's okay. Because what he's doing in our text is he's actually giving us an example to live by. In fact, look over at chapter 11, verse 1. This is the summary of of, uh, chapters 8 through 10 where he's talking about giving up rights. And this is what he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other words, that's the first application today. You and I are called to a life of giving up rights so the kingdom of God will advance. Indeed, the second application is we need to examine in our hearts why it is that we're actually sharing the gospel with people. Now, why do I say this? Because sometimes when we share the gospel, we're so into success in America that it's like, I'm not going to do this if I don't get success on my terms. I'm not going to do this unless it happens a certain way. So sometimes the biggest barrier to us sharing the gospel is we have expectations of what we might be due. Instead of saying, I'm going to share the gospel and give up my expectations of what's due to me and watch Jesus work. This is a version of love, which we'll talk about shortly in a minute. But this is what Jesus calls us to. It's this life of giving up our rights so that we'll walk into someone else's world. Our job is to preach the gospel without a hook. 
to give it as a free gift to someone. Just as you and I received it as a free gift from someone else. That's our job. This requires giving up things that we sometimes don't like giving up. And we have to think about this. This is a costly business of reaching out to people. It's a costly business in loving. And it is very contrary to our American sensibilities where we want to have our cake and eat it too. But I got to tell you, Jesus said, never said you can have that kind of life if you follow him. If you follow Jesus, it is a life of receiving eternal life, the Holy Spirit, grace, spiritual blessings beyond our wildest dreams, and sacrifice. Giving up things that we think are dear, when in point of fact, they're not that dear in the eyes of God. So I prayed about this truth this week for myself. There's two things that stood out that just keep bugging me. And you all know that I'm a busy guy as the senior pastor redeemer. We talk about that a lot, and I'm sometimes way too busy. So time is very valuable to me. Very valuable. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, one of the things I think that I am due is time in my life and the rightful use of it, even in breaks. But, you know, sometimes... I so hold on to time that I don't even give time to my unbelieving friends and family like they need to hear the gospel. I prayed as well about comfort. We are due comfort. In fact, when you follow Jesus, you're promised the comfort of the Holy Spirit in your life. You will be comforted uh, whenever you mourn. But here's the thing. If you're going to engage someone with the gospel, you have got to give up a good thing of comfort so that someone might hear the good news. You can pray for me. Time and comfort are two big values for me these days. And I think sometimes they get in the way of me spending time with my non-Christian friends and family members. That brings us then to this whole idea of giving up rights. Where does Paul give, get this whole idea of giving up rights? And how can I even say imitate Paul as he imitates Christ? How can I do that in telling you to give up your rights? Well, it's simple. Jesus Christ did it for you. Remember the gospel. The gospel is this. Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh. He is the owner and creator of everything in the universe. All that you have is not yours, it's Jesus's. So when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, what do you think he deserved? You ready? He deserved pomp and circumstance, people partying and giving him glory, wild stuff going on to give him honor and praise as the one true God in Christ. Way bigger than anything Prince Andrew and Kate Middleton had in their wedding. What else did Jesus deserve? Jesus deserved that every one of us get on our knees and bow before him. He's God. He's holy. He's perfect. He deserved it. What else did Jesus deserve? To eradicate his enemies. Those who would push against him and resist his power and lordship to zap them. Injustice. That's what he deserved. But what happened? 
Did that actually happen? Did we actually bow? No. Uh -uh. No. We didn't bow because we want to be God. And so, what did Jesus do? Did he come and wipe us out? No. He walked into our world and gave up his rights. He was born of a virgin, a teenager, lower middle class, lived in a trailer park probably. No pomp and circumstance. He grew up in obscurity to a carpenter, as a part of a carpenter's family. Then he entered into ministry and he chooses 12 knuckleheads to be his, to lead on his behalf and with him. Not only that, he serves people. He heals them. He delivers them. He teaches them truths so deep and powerful it's life-changing. He does some amazing things, and he's not making a cent on it. And finally, he gives up the right of his very life on the cross for you and for me. The Christ, the Son of God, bleeds and dies so that you and I might be forgiven. So that you and I might have a new life. So that you and I might know Him personally. And He did it by giving up His rights. Jesus calls us to this life of giving up our rights. And He calls us to this life in order to get the gospel out. Even Paul is calling us to this. And my question is, what rights are you willing to give up so that your neighbor or friend you're praying for will come to know Jesus? You need to start thinking about that. What are you going to give up in your rights? Are you willing to give up your time, your comfort? Are you willing to give up um, your passion for something to engage the passion of another? Jesus calls you to deny yourself Pick up your cross and follow him. All right, now some of you are thinking, whew, man, this is big stuff. All right, all right, I've got to give up my rights, but what does that look like? Especially when we're opening the gospel to somebody and sharing it with someone. Well, look at verse 19 with me in our text here. What does verse 19 say? It says this, For though I am free from all... I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. What is he saying here? Well, verses 19 through 23 are a missional strategy. A missional strategy for giving up rights. Paul starts with the gospel. He is free in Christ. What does that mean? Well, free in Christ means that he is free from legalism. He's free from the cultural rules that are not consistent from the law of God and are matters of indifference, adiaphora, as Calvin once called it. In other words, even though the culture says you must do this, we have the right, if it's not grounded in the word of God, to say, no, I won't. My eternal destiny Our relationship with Jesus is grounded on Christ's work alone. 
And remember what Galatians 5 tells us. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And it says, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. However, to give up rights and do mission means we can choose to take on the good or indifferent matters and aspects of cultural practices and lifestyles while refraining from anything that displeases God in sin. This is what it means to be the servant of all in order to win more to Christ. To be the servant of all means we must go down the ladder of humility before the Lord first and even other people in order they can hear the gospel. So the great, theolo- great commission, in other words, is lived out in our lives in humility and service. And don't miss that. We talk a lot about service in our time, culturally and especially in the church. But the number one service you can do to the lost is give up your rights. When I was a college student, I worked in a ministry called Young Life. And Young Life, for those of you not familiar with it, Uh, is committed to getting the gospel into high schools just like Sun Valley High School. And what Young Life leaders do is actually walk onto the campus, hang out with high school students, get to know the coaches and the teachers, and share the gospel, building relationships with the kids. I had the privilege of helping start a, a high school club at Cary High School right outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. And I was challenged by my area director, my leader, uh, that I needed to build relationships with some kids. So he challenged me to get involved with the wrestling team at Cary High School. And I'll never forget him saying, I said, wrestling team, what? I play basketball, I played football, I played soccer. Those are my passions. I'm really good at it. No, I want you to do the wrestling team. So I, all right. So I start going to wrestling practices. Closed room, a bunch of sweaty kids at the end of a day wrestling with each other. I'm sure some of you can imagine. It's a pretty nasty smell, pretty gross to be around. And I'm there meeting the kids. I'm not doing anything weird. Just say, hey, man, how's it going, Billy? How's it going, John? What's going on, man? You had a great match the other day, and I'd go to their matches. I'd hang out with them, build relationships with them. I would never choose... To naturally go into a wrestling match or even a wrestling practice if it wasn't for mission. And you know what happened is as I built relationships with the kids, those kids started coming to Young Life. Some of them became Christians. Some of them became Young Life leaders and led some of their own friends to Christ at Cary High School. It was a pretty amazing thing. And ironically, I didn't know this, and this was a benefit, Cary's... High school wrestling team was a state champion team. They kept winning it every year. And I just happened to be around with that. That's a pretty cool experience too. You see what Jesus calls you to? He will call you out of what you are used to and what you're comfortable with into what is clearly a place he wants you to go with other people. To walk into their world. Not bring your world into their world, unless it's Jesus. What that means is you and I are to become interested in the things and passionate about the things that our unbelieving friends are interested and passionate about. 
Uh, I know that sounds strange. But Paul is telling us he did as much in his ministry. Wherever he was uh, helping people, people under the law, that is Jews, he would become passionate with what the Jews are passionate about. I'll give you an example. He said, to the Jews I became as a Jew. You know what you find in Acts 16? Acts 16 is right after Acts 15. In Acts 15, all the apostles get together and they decide, hey, you are only saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's the gospel. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to become a Jew. You don't have to live up some legalistic standard to get in the kingdom of God. It is all of God's grace just to receive by faith to get in. And you know, that's Acts 15. You're going, yeah, that's what we're talking about. And then in Acts 16, you know what Paul does? He meets Timothy and has him circumcised. And you're going, Paul, what are you doing? They just said you don't have to be circumcised. Now, Paul is not having Timothy circumcised in order to experience salvation as, if you will, a hurdle to get in salvation. No, he's doing it for mission. Because Timothy was an uncircumcised Jew. And it would be offensive to the Jews if he was uncircumcised in their midst. You see there? How they walked into a world and even did something as difficult as circumcision in order to do mission? He doesn't stop there. He says, I go into those who don't have the law. Did you see that in our text? Those without the law? And he says, I become as one without the law. Now, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying he threw off all moral restraint and just went wild with partying. Yeah, baby. Now, he's not talking about a life of license. What he's talking about is he gives up his rights, even as a Jew, to live the life of, of, of common good things that even the, uh, those not under the law were engaged with. He became like a Gentile, if you will. Now, a good example of this would be Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to the Chinese back in the 19th century. He was one of the first English to go there and share the gospel with the Chinese. And the most radical thing that Hudson Taylor did that just blew the English away, especially the English evangelicals who were sending him, is he started wearing the clothes of the Chinese. And they were going, oh, what are you doing? You're wearing the clothes of the Chinese. And he understand that stood this principle that to engage the Chinese, you had to dress like the Chinese. You didn't compromise your faith or your morality. But that's an indifferent matter of how you dress. My neighbors love NFL football. Love it. They go to the church of NFL football just about every week in the fall whenever football season's in. So what do I do? Do I say, well, I just, they just are bound to the God of the NFL? No. After church, I go out and talk with them about what's going down with football. I joined a fantasy football league with them. It gives us opportunities to talk first about fantasy football league, but then further to engage them in their regular life. Talk about other things, real things that come up in life and share the gospel. We are called to give up our preferences of how we live our lives and our lifestyles. The ones we all have worked so hard for in order to get the gospel out. This is costly. 
Paul finally concludes with the idea that he goes to the weak. These are those who are the forgotten in culture, the little people, so to speak. And he became like them to win them to Christ. In other words, he took a lower standard of living in order to engage them. And that really gets to the heart of who are the weak in our time and in our community. That would be the Hispanics. We've had to close down Iglesia, but that doesn't mean our mission to the Hispanics has ended, folks. We just have to find a new way to do it. I would suggest to you that the teenagers and the kids of Union County are a ripe mission field for reaching the gospel. Not just among ours here in Redeemer with our kids and our youth, but even out there, those who are filling the halls of Sun Valley every week, Weddington, other places. They are starving for the gospel. And in order to reach the young people of our age, we have to be willing to give up our rights. A few years ago, my son started listening and became passionate about hip-hop. And while I have never really gotten into rap music or hip-hop, I chose to listen to it with him and to think out loud about the lyrics and the attitudes expressed in it. Uh, and I wanted to think out loud with him what it means to be Christian and listen to hip-hop music. I didn't condemn it because, you know what? I actually found as I was listening to Tupac, as I was listening to Eminem, I was like, man, I agree with what he's saying there. That's right. I also said, I don't like that. And he's got a bad attitude about that. But you know what? He just nailed it. Tupac could nail it sometimes. Do you see how we can find common ground with people? That's what we're called to. I wouldn't naturally listen to hip-hop, but now I listen to it more than ever. What Paul is saying is you and I have to adapt, accommodate our lives without compromising Christ, the gospel, or even Christian morality. It's costly. And it's uncomfortable. And you know you're feeling it right now. I mean, think about it. Some of you 60-year-olds, I'm telling you, you might think about listening to hip-hop. You're going, what? How are we to do this? That's the next question. How do we actually engage young people, the people in our lives and our communities with the gospel? Well, here it is. It shows up in our text right here. Paul gives us an analogy to show us how we ought to think about doing mission. It's in verse 24 through 27. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Here it is. Paul uses an athletic analogy to describe what it's like to walk into someone else's world giving up rights. It's like preparing for a marathon. It's like a long-distance runner. You know, in Corinth, they had their own little mini version of the Olympics. It's called the Ismathian Games. And Paul is surely alluding to that in this text. And it was a kind of qualifying round to get in the big Olympics that were in Athens. When you are reaching out, you must see your mission as a marathon, not as a sprint. 
You have to see it as something where you are going to do trial and error. You're going to bumble. You're not going to get your times right. You've got to learn endurance, and sometimes it's hard. Three things will come out of this from our text. It will challenge you like a competition. You will be sharpened by competing worldviews. When you share the gospel, you're probably going to get pushed back at some point. Second, it requires serious self-control and discipline. You must stay focused. And third, you run for the prize. And what's the prize? Is it conversions? Well, we long for that. We pray for that. But the prize, in terms of the way uh, Paul articulates it in his stewardship, is faithfulness. Faithfulness to just tell people in a faithful way what the gospel is about Jesus. In a personal way with Jesus. Think of it this way. All of us, and I've used this before. All of us know that when you follow Jesus, it's a little bit like a P90X workout. Anytime you follow Jesus, it is like totally P90X. It's hard at times. It'll stretch you. <laughs> but when you start doing mission and outreach and you have to give up your rights so the gospel can go out, it just went to the insanity workout. It will press you to the edge and you will grow. Some of you here today don't know Jesus. And you live in a world where you're not sure how to make sense of the dark things within you and the dark things outside of you that go on. I would submit to you that probably you need to consider what it meant for someone, the Son of God, God in the flesh, to come into this world and give up His rights for you. That He would love you and give Himself for you. In love without a hook. What God loves you like that? Do you even love yourself like that? Some of you have been Christians a long time. And you're bored. You're bored. You're flat. You're not sure where you are with Jesus. And I got to tell you something. The reason is you're not doing outreach. You're not doing the insanity workout of mission. If you think, if you just show up and listen to me every week or go to a Bible study, that that alone will help grow you, I will tell you, you'll get fat and lazy. Your job is to serve the kingdom and to invest your life in a few non-believers. If everybody in this room did that, it would change Union County. Just a few unbelievers. It would change everything. Jesus calls us to a life of giving up ourselves and even our rights so others might hear the gospel in their world, in their way in some cases. Paul calls us to imitate him, to follow a life of giving up rights. This is love. This is love in marriage. Any of you have been married for a while, you know. You can't say, I want, I want what's mine. Gimme, gimme, gimme. That doesn't last very long in a marriage, does it? Nah, real marriage is, I give up my rights for you, my love. You know it's true in a friendship. But I'm telling you, it's absolutely true in reaching out. Jesus calls us today to walk into their world, giving up our rights. 
and it will change the world, even turn it upside down. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you now, and we all pray that in this very difficult text to live out, it is so counterintuitive to do this, Lord, to give up our rights, to give up what we want and deserve in many cases, but we pray that you would empower us as a people to love. And you do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Tame our hearts, O Lord, that we would be givers of love, that we wouldn't demand of you and of others, that they dance around us so we can get what we want, that we would be givers, Lord. It's going to take a work of your Spirit to change us, to change me. Come, Spirit, speak to us even in this time of communion. In Christ's name, amen.